John 16, beginning at verse 4b. This is a good reminder. There were never any verses or chapters in the uh, original manuscripts. And therefore, the, like a reading Bible, you just go straight on through. We only have them so that when we're studying it, we can find it easier than saying, somewhere in John it says. But, uh, and sometimes you got to remember, the way they have divided it divides the thought. But this is not one of them. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, who will not, uh, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, uh, concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And with that, we end the reading of God's holy word. And you may be seated. Or as another refrain, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay. Today's Lord's Day 20 in the Heidelberg Catechism. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit who is, uh, I titled the Conqueror. Because that's what he does over and over again. From the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 20, it's only one question with a, a two-part answer. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, that he is co-eternal God with the Father and the Son. Second, that he is also given unto me by true faith, or he is given unto me by true faith, makes me a partaker of Christ and all his benefits, comforts me, and shall abide with me forever. It does help when you read the punctuation. It makes a whole lot more sense. One of the nicknames, uh, Francis Chan titled a book about the Holy Spirit this, but he was not the first one to use this, this name, the Forgotten God. If you go to any seminary library, and I found this out when I was in seminary, you can go to the library and you can find shelf upon shelf and bookcase upon bookcase about God the Father. Plenty of material. You can go to another section and you can find the same thing about God the Son. Sometimes it's even more about God the Son. But when I went to seminary, I found maybe three shelves on God the Holy Spirit. And I said, this is strange. I'm in a Presbyterian seminary. 
John Calvin was known as the theologian of the Holy Spirit. He wrote more about the Holy Spirit than any other theologian up to his time. And one of the finest books on the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, is done by Abraham Kuyper, who was a Dutch Reformed pastor at the end of the 19th, early 20th century. And it is one of the great expositions of the Spirit. It's well worth you taking time to read. But it seems to be that the Holy Spirit is neglected. Maybe it is because of the way in which he is portrayed in Scripture. And I say it this way, not that he's portrayed badly. But in the Scriptures, he's portrayed as an it. Think of the symbols of, a Holy, of the Holy Spirit. You have a dove. A nice little bird that comes and lights down or flutters over and hovers over. It's like uh, Genesis 1-2 in the very beginning. And the spirit hovered over the chaos is one way to translate it. He just kind of moved over the chaos. And that's kind of an impersonal term. A wind. Sometimes it's a strong wind. Sometimes it's a breeze. But a wind is not a he or she, it's an it. And people down in Florida right now know very strong winds. In fact, an Air Force base down there was almost annihilated except for the concrete buildings because of that strong breeze. And at other times, it's just a nice gentle wind. It's a hot day in August, and all of a sudden the breeze comes and you're sitting underneath the oak tree and all of the perspiration begins to leave because you have the wind has come water sometimes it's a stream sometimes it's a fountain sometimes it's a river it can be gentle like a fountain where you go and you get a drink and get refreshed. Like water here. And I was told you're allowed to bring water in here. Not coffee. You got to get your fix beforehand. And you take this and you go, ah, that is so good. It refreshes. Sometimes it's like a stream. A little bubbling brook. You go out and walk in the forest, you come to a little bubbling brook and you sit there and you listen to it. And it's, it's just peaceful. In fact, one of our uh, kids has music by which they put their children to bed. And part of it is waves lapping on the shore or a bubbling brook going by. And it's supposed to calm them. I'm saying, I'd be awake all night listening to that. <laughs> I don't know what in the world are you thinking? <laughs> but sometimes it's a river. My favorite point of uh, a river is from Ezekiel 37. 47, excuse me. Ezekiel is at the temple. And he sees coming out of the temple, from the temple, this little trickle of water. Almost imperceptible, but it comes and it comes out underneath the doors. And then as it starts going down, it 
widens. Not because other tributaries come into it, it just automatically widens. And he says, at the beginning it was ankle deep, and then it went to be knee deep, and then it was hip deep, and then it was up to my shoulders, and finally at the end of the river, you could not stand, you could only go with the flow. Have you ever been in a river like that? It just pushes you along. And you're going, man, am I ever going to get out of here? You're flowing like that. I had a, a, Peg and I have a friend who used to say, getting into the Holy Spirit is like getting in a swimming pool. You, you step down into the waiting part and you walk and then you continue walking. Eventually you get into the deep part and the only thing you can do is float. That is what the Holy Spirit is like. Begin small, but moves to the place where if you're going to be with the Holy Spirit, you can only float in Him. That's where He wants you to be. Now, I don't know about you, but there are times I like it ankle deep or hip deep because I can control that. But when you get into the deep part or when you get into the flowing river, you don't have any control. You're at the mercy of that work. Uh, dove, wind, water. What's another one? Fire. There's fire that you put in your fireplace. Nice on a day like today. It's raining, it's cold, the fire is there, and it's warming up your, your house or family room or whatever, and it sounds so good, the little spackling, the little sounds of the fire. And then there's a fire that's in your house that's consummating it, that's eating it up, and it says, that's not so good. Disciples at Pentecost had fire, tongues of fire on them. It didn't consume them but it ignited them to do the ministry. And others, when they come in contact with the Holy Spirit, feel like they're being burnt up because that's one of his jobs, is to convict us. What's another one? Oil. Give me oil in my lamb. Keep me burning, burning, burning. You don't know that song? We have some work to do. <laughs> You know that song, okay. Give me oil in my lamp, I say. Great camps. Oil, it feeds the fire, it keeps it going. And out of that, you get light. So that you can see. I uh, said we were out um, yesterday, Friday night and yesterday, up at uh, our granddaughter's college visiting her. And we stayed at a motel. No night light. You know what it's like to get up in the middle of the night and try to find a bathroom? No night light. Stubbed toes. Fear and anxiety. I wonder if there's a cockroach in there. <laughs> yeah, I see. That's what. But if you turn on the light, pew, they're gone. Holy Spirit comes into a... <laughs> well, you hope they're gone, right? <laughs> Slithering away into the darkness. 
Uh, the Holy Spirit is the one who comes into your life, dispels the darkness little by little so that you can see what you need to see. Paul to the Second Corinthians talks about how the, uh, the veil is removed, Second Corinthians 3, the veil is removed by, from our eyes and we get to see Christ and we can gaze on Christ. Actually, it says, gaze on the Spirit who is the Lord. Uh, some versions say the Lord who is the Spirit, but the idea is the same. He calls the Spirit the Lord, just the same title he uses with Jesus. And he says the Spirit comes and he provides light so that you get to gaze on Christ or gaze on him. And as you are gazing on him, you are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. See? One degree of glory to another degree of glory to another degree of glory. Or sometimes... It's like this. Actually, more times than not, it looks like that. But that's what the Spirit does. He sheds his light. You see Christ. And you begin to move step by step toward him. Those are some of the highlights. There are others that are there. But you see, all of those are it's. Excuse me, it's no, no mark there. But the scripture also says, it, he is a he. This, this is a phenomena about the scripture, is that the word for the spirit pneuma is a neuter word. It's neither he nor she in the original Greek. It means it. However, when they write about the pneuma, they use the word he, the male pronoun. When Jesus was talking about the spirit in our passage, he said he will come. We will send him to you. That's male. And so some have said, well, obviously Numa, he's got to be neuter, but this makes him personal. And as our catechism talks about, he is co-equal with the Father and the Son. That means he's just as much God as the Father and the Son. He is the third person of the Trinity. The Trinity works together in a parakesis, that is in a dance but they are all co-equal. They all have the same qualities. He's omnipotent. He's as all-powerful as the Father is, or the Son. He's omniscient. He knows everything. In fact, Paul in Romans talks about he knows the mind of God, and he gives to us the mind of God. He is eternal. There was no beginning. There is no end with him. He's infinite. He is one who is uh, no, without beginning and end, but he is one who is powerful, present, perfect. He's holy. That's why we call him the Holy Spirit. We just don't call him Father, Son, and Spirit. Well, the Father is a spirit. The Son used to be a spirit, but became a man. Therefore, he's a God-man. 
But the Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And that tells you a lot about what he wants to do. And because he is personal, because he is a male, because he can relate to you as a person, he comes in order to help you. He comes in order to guide and direct and be with you. And you can be with him just as you could be with Jesus or with the Father. Sometimes we forget that. Said, if I only knew Jesus, if I was only back there in the first century and I could see him walking. And what did Jesus say in our passage? It is better for you that I go away. How many of you have have mentors that meant something really important to you? Most of us in the Christian life had someone who mentored us. And then for one reason or another, they left. They died, we moved, they moved, whatever it is. And you're no longer with them. You go, oh man, tragedy, horror, problems. Well, Jesus said, I'm going to send one, another. Paraclete. That word another just doesn't mean someone else. It means one exactly like me. If you know Jesus, you know what the Spirit is like. The more you read the Gospels and the more you find out about Jesus, you find out that that's the Spirit. And one of the things you find out about the Spirit, the Spirit is not a gentleman. We, we, sometimes I hear, God is a gentleman. He will not. He will not violate you, your will. or He will not violate the, your life. And I go, he's a roaring lion. That's what Lucy found, right? And you, you look at Jesus and, oh, Jesus, meek and mild. Wonderful, wonderful Jesus. And then you say, well, he threw money changers out of the table. Out of the temple. He goes up to the leaders, religious leaders, and he says, Woe unto you, which is a curse. Cursed be you, you leaders, because you have made, you have gone through the world looking for converts, and you have made them twice as fit for hell as they were before. The Holy Spirit is just like Jesus. You love Jesus, you got to love the Holy Spirit. We have, we have children. Boy, do we have children. Some of them are like Peg and some of them are like me. If you like Peg, you'll like some of them. If you like me, you'll like some of them. For those who aren't like either one of us, you can hate all you want. No, <laughs> it's just that's the way it is. You, you get to know them and you like them. It's another. Paraclete, in the ESV... And at least the latest version of the ESV it's supposed to be the final version. No changes from here on out. Yep. <laughs> Give it 20 years when the language has changed again. They'll get it. Helper, advocate, lawyer. Helper doesn't just mean he comes alongside and he picks you up. Or he builds something for you. Helper means he's an advocate. He's on your side. 
Lawyer means he comes and he represents you in the courtroom. You ever been in a courtroom and you want a lawyer? Because the complexities of law are more than any person can understand, except a lawyer. They get trained in complexities. And they do, they, they can say, uh, don't answer that question. Plead the fifth. Say it this way. Because they know the, the issues that are there. The Holy Spirit is a lawyer who comes beside you during all of life, and he teaches you how then to live. And he is your advocate. He is on your side. That's, again, that's one of the reasons why Jesus said, it is better for you that I go away so that I can send the Holy Spirit, the advocate, somebody who's going to be on your side throughout life. Now, how's he on your side? Well, Jesus also talks about that. This is wonderful. He convicts of sin. He, oh, old age is creeping in. He, uh, well, sin, righteousness, And judgment. Who does he convict? Excuse me? The world? He convicts the world. Who's in the world? Yeah, we are. And the enemy is. And those who are the enemies. People look at this and say, well, he can fix the world of sin. That means he's going after our enemies. Well, yeah, but you've got to remember you're one of the enemies of God as you're rebellious. He convicts you of sin. Think about how you came to Christ. Think about the days that led up to it. I, I know in my case, and I can only use it because I'm, I know that one. I wasn't really looking for Jesus. I was at a summer camp. I had to figure out a way to keep eight-year-old boys quiet so they'd go to sleep. So I picked up a book and I sat out on the front porch where they could see me and I began to read the book. The only book I had to pick up was Good News for Modern Man, a, a paraphrase of the New Testament. I wasn't looking for Jesus. I had been a good kid. I went through church every day. I was part of youth group. I went to their summer camp. I was, you know, my nickname was Georgie Goody Two Shoes. But when I read that book and I read about Jesus and I read about Acts and the church and then I read Romans, it just hit home. The Spirit gave to me things that I had done that I had forgotten, which were horrible the way I had treated mom and dad, the way I treated brothers and sisters, the way, the way I was living, it was all for me. He convicted me of sin. And if you notice, he did that to you to the point where at some time you said, oh man, am I in trouble. I'm not half as good as I think I am. May not use those words, but that's part of it. He convicts the world around us of sin. Why do you think we're having the difficulty we're having in our culture? 
because the culture itself is suppressing the knowledge of the truth, the knowledge of God and who he is. And because they suppress it, it has to come out some way. It's like a pressure cooker. You suppress it, you push it down, and if you push it down long enough and it heats up enough, it's going to explode. And so you have people who suppress their anger at others and then they go get a gun and shoot others. You have people who have been lying about themselves and when it is pointed out to them what they're doing, they're about ready to punch you. This is part of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He does it all over the world. And he's doing it in our culture. And the good point is that as he convicts of sin, he also shows another way of life. He convicts he, he also of sin and also of righteousness. The more the Holy Spirit works with you, the more unholy you see yourself. You recognize those little things that you kind of pushed to the side and didn't, re, didn't think about. He brings them back into your life and he says, not good, not good, not good. And sometimes when you're in the middle of doing something that is wrong, he says, remember what righteousness says? You don't do that. Flee youthful lusts. Flee from those kind of things. Don't sit there and think that you can accept and, and sit in the middle of the difficulties or sit and work in the middle of, uh, of those issues and get away with it. It will come back to bite you, little by little. And he convinces you of what is right. Again, look at our culture. Every time the church stands up, the, the church, the true church stands up and says, this is wrong. What's the blowback? You're intolerant. The greatest sin of the world right now, you are intolerant. You are narrow-minded. You are bigoted. And you just, you can add on the terms there. And yet it's the Holy Spirit who's reminding us and them, no, there's a righteousness outside of ourselves. The reason you came to Christ is because you recognized that you were not righteous, but there one is one who was righteous, and he gave a double righteousness. It was a righteousness of his own life by which he would go to the cross, and it was a righteousness that of his own life he would give to you. So that you're not righteous, you're not holy, you're not even close to it in practice, but you are in principle because he gives you his righteousness, you're set free. And then judgment. When we do sin, disobey the righteousness, we know judgment. And we know that we are ripe for judgment. Uh, several years after I became a Christian, the Holy Spirit was pointing and pushing about some things in my life. There was one night I was listening to the pirates play San Francisco out on the coast. That meant in Pittsburgh it was like one o'clock when the game ended. 
and the game ended by the Pirates blowing an eight-run lead at the end of the game, so they lost. If you don't think that didn't make me mad, I was going to say something else, but I can't do it. <laughs> and I'm going, what in the world? How do you blow an eight-run lead? No pitching? And then the Spirit said, but that's not the problem, is it? And the rest of the night, I wrestled with this whole idea of judgment and the possibility that if I continue on in the way in which I am, I could face the ultimate judgment. Again, the reason the world pushes the church away is because they don't want to be reminded. You continue this way, you will be judged. We like to think that it's a monopoly when we all have get-out-of-jail-free cards. And we get simply have to push that or, or bring it to heaven and we get out of jail free. It doesn't work that way. And it's the Holy Spirit who's doing that. He does it in individuals. He does it in countries, nations, peoples, people's groups. And you have to recognize that's what's going on more than anything else. The Holy Spirit, who is the other helper, advocate, is doing the work of Jesus wherever he finds himself to mold and shape and to bring it to the place that Jesus is preparing. For what is the, the biggest goal of the Holy Spirit? It's to prepare a bride to be a wife. Some of you have been engaged. And you know between the, the engagement and the wedding, you're really working to get ready for a marriage. You're really working to get ready. I mean, sometimes everything else just kind of, kind of fades into the background. Because that's what you're looking for. And then you get married and you go, oh, man, I spent all that time for this, for him, for her. No, that doesn't work that way in, with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is preparing a bride, and we are still the bride. We are not the wife. The wife comes when Christ returns, and the Spirit is done with his work in that way. We are being prepared. And he does, just like Jesus prepared his disciples, brought them into community, gave to them teaching, empowered them to do the ministry, the Spirit is doing the same thing within the church. The people who are believers in God. And he is doing it with those whom God has chosen who are not yet believers. And as God is pulling and calling and demanding that they come to him. And I use that word demanding purposely. Again, God is not a gentleman. Well, if you'll come, I'll have you. You have to make the choice. I'm waiting for you. No. God, Jesus said, the Father draws people unto himself. That is, it's the image of taking a bucket and putting it down in the well. And drawing it back up. 
The bucket doesn't do it. The water doesn't do it. It's the person who lets the bucket down, who does it. And God and the Holy Spirit is always at work doing exactly that. Anything he is guiding you in life, he is compelling you to do it. Hear that word? Compels you to do it. I mean, we're Americans. You don't compel me to do anything. If I want to vote, I'll vote. If I don't want to vote, I don't want to vote. I can do whatever I want. We have freedom. No, we don't have freedom. There are some things that are obligations, and there are some things we have to realize we must do, and it is the Spirit of God who compels us to do exactly that. And that's the work that he's involved in. There will come a day when Christ comes back, and we talked a little bit about this last week, his, his return. And we'll talk about it a little bit in a couple weeks with his resurrection and eternal life when we will be the wife. The marriage supper will have been set and we will be enjoying it. The marriage will have taken place in its fullness. And in that time, we will have the beauty of living with our groom. Do you know how we're going to live with our groom? By he, the Holy Spirit. Again, we don't even live with a groom by our own power because we don't have enough power to do it. We do it because the Holy Spirit is continually to working. working. Again, that's the idea. Another paraclete, helper, advocate, lawyer. Another power who comes and helps us do what we are called to do. And that's the work of the Spirit. Now, I finished part one of the catechism. No, I, I've, been, I've been actually using this outline little by little as we went through. And the outline is, yeah, we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit, but we're also talking about the power of God and the presence of God. And I put a lot of different verses and ideas that you, in the middle of the afternoon, when you have the fire in the fireplace and the Browns have finally lost, I mean, uh, the game's over. <laughs> when you have some time, you go through those verses and you'll, you'll pick up on some of the things that I had to say to you. Um, I think there's another one I missed. Well, the other one is number eight, confer. That means he gives to you or he, the, he placed graces upon us beyond the grace for salvation. That has to do with the gifts of ministry. Those are graces. And those you are given in order that the, the church can accomplish its ministry. You use it because you have, you have been fit into a body by the Spirit. And he has especially made you for one section of that ministry. You may have several different gifts, but you need to fit in there. If you use them, the body is strengthened. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 4, where that main passage comes from. It ties us together with Christ. It ties us together with one another. If you don't use them, it's like the child who doesn't want to do dishes when it's their responsibility to do the dishes that night. 
And if mom and dad are smart at all, they'll say, okay, we'll just, we won't do them for you. And the next morning when they wake up and there's no bowls and there's no forks and there's no spoons and they can't eat their wheat puffs and their Cheerios because they have no dishes, you'll look at them and say, see what happened? You didn't do your part. We are weaker for it. You find your grace, your grace gifts and you put them into exercise. But the other part of that, he confers upon us the fruit of the Spirit. And let me remind you, it's singular. One fruit. It's a tangerine. One fruit, nine parts. Peel it off, open it up. And all of them are, all of them are in operation in you at the same time. Just some of them you need to work on more than others. Being joyful has not been a real problem for me. Being patient has something I had to work with. What do you mean you didn't do your homework? What do you mean? What do you mean when you cut the grass, you did go up and down the street, but you go all sorts of ways? Come on! The Holy Spirit is dealing with you at that part of the fruit, which is a character of Christ, that you are weakest. And he wants you to become strongest. He wants you to develop a full-orbed character. You know, hopefully, by the time you reach old age, you got some of this together. I say, hopefully. <laughs> you don't. You spend your whole life doing this kind of stuff. Spend your whole life. Sometimes he, spake, he takes years to deal with one part of the fruit. And then he says, okay, you're, it's good enough for right now. We'll keep working on it. But here's something else. And that's what you have to deal with. But the, re, the way in which you get that fruit is not because you try harder. It's because you ask more. Spirit, help me to be patient. Spirit, help me to exercise my gifts. Show me what they are. And help me to put them into operation. I think one of my gifts is making people laugh. I go up to a counter and I try to figure out a way. How do I make that cashier laugh? What can I say to them that will give a smile to their face? And sometimes I have to work real hard. <laughs> but I figure... That's part of the fruit of the Spirit. That's giving some kind of joy to somebody else. It's sharing the joy that I have. And sometimes it doesn't work. I mean, New York City was horrendous for this. I mean, they, they, they're stone face. They don't care who you are. They don't care what's going on. They're just doing their job. And you're sitting there trying to make them smile a little bit. And they go, I'm not smiling. I don't care. I'm a New York City person. I don't, don't smile. And others are open to it. But you see, it's the Spirit who conveys them and who helps them, who helps you utilize the gifts and develop and demonstrate the fruit that is there. Let's see one. So you have an opportunity. There are a couple other C's. I, I, I do a 10 C's only because alliterations. There's another way to put it. In fact, there are some podcasts as well as uh, some papers. 
that Greg has done on the work of the Holy Spirit. But the one thing the Holy Spirit wants in your life more than anything else is to be released. That's the word I use. I do it only because the word baptism of the Spirit to me and to some has a horrendous connotation. In some circles it says you have to be baptized in the Spirit. That means you did not have the Spirit beforehand but you get the Spirit and you're baptized but it comes after your conversion. And I'm going read Romans 8 please. Read the Scriptures It says, he who does not have the Spirit is not of Christ. He who has the Spirit is of Christ. So the problem is not being, quote, baptized in the Spirit to finally get the Holy Spirit. If you came to faith in Christ, and I hope that you have, you have the Holy Spirit. The question is, are you allowing him to do his work? And that's what I mean by release. Not that you can control him. But are you humble and teachable enough to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work within you? That's what it is. And I think that's part of what Jesus was saying to his disciples in that John 16, and in fact John 14 to 16, even 17. One of the great discourses on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you another advocate Allow him to do his work. And how is that done? Jesus describes it when he gave the Lord's Prayer. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open unto you. And in the Lucan passage he goes on. How much of you who are a father who has bread will give to your son a stone? Or ask for a fish and will give you something else? No. How much more, I love that phrase, how much more will the, whole, will the Father give to you the Holy Spirit if you ask? Most of our life as Christians is asking, seeking, knocking. That's a continuous thing. And we do that often because we need to be, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Being, be being filled passive it's his work but you ask for it and he comes and he opens you up and you humble yourself to release him into your into to into areas of your life where he does his work where we run into problems is we do not want to release him i love my sin and i don't want it spoiled because it gives me joy No, it doesn't. It gives me help. And then we realize God has given to us the Holy Spirit in order to convict of sin, righteousness, and just judgment. So, if you're feeling weak, you got the power of God. If you're feeling lost, you've got the presence of God. If you're feeling like you're not going anywhere, you've got the other helper, advocate for you and within you. 
presence of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a love that will not let us go. You have loved us. You have provided for us. You have given us everything that we need. And we are indeed still, to some degree, rebellious children who like our own way. And yet, Lord, you grant to us your Holy Spirit. May we understand and apply him to our lives that we may become better and better disciples of yours and allow the kingdom of grace to come here on the earth through us. Holy Spirit, come. Bend our hearts and our minds and our wills and our knees to you and use us for your honor and glory. For we ask it in Christ's name and all of God's people said, Amen.